Welcome to the one-on-one with one and only sports podcast. I'm your host Theo Wan. Every person has a story to tell and this podcast hopes to give an opportunity for those in the sport world to share their unique story. Each week I interview a new guest to come on the show and we talk about how they got to where they are in the sport world, what their daily life looks like, some misconceptions people have about their role, and we end with a fun rapid fire segment to close the episode. If that sounds like something for you, Please don't hesitate to subscribe, rate, review, and share this podcast with others. New episodes come out every Tuesday. This episode is brought to you by Haddock Sport Performance. Is your training making you better on the field? Haddock Sport Performance provides a complete strength and conditioning experience. With over five years of experience at the elite international level and a global group of athletes, they have come to appreciate that training is a partnership. And with HSP, Their goal is to provide each athlete with a truly personal and unique training experience. They work tirelessly with you to get to know you as a person and athlete, and together build a plan for you to be your best in competition. If you are invested in your own success and performance, they are here to support you. To know more about their methods and philosophy, head to haddocksportperformance.ca or get a look at their day-to-day by checking out HSP on Instagram. Now with all that done, let's go! Welcome to episode 15 of the podcast. Today's guest is coach Justin Sures. Justin is the general manager and head coach of the Wolford Laurier Golden Hawks men's basketball team, where they have made two OUA Final Four appearances. Prior to being with Laurier, he was an assistant coach with the University of Ottawa from 2010 to 2016, where the GGs won one OUA championship, two OUA bronze medals, and one OUA silver medal. They also made four U Sports Elite Eight Championship appearances with one bronze medal and two silver medals. He was an assistant coach in 2019 with the Team Canada Fichu team finishing 5-2. Justin is a former student athlete at Laurentian who played basketball in France. He holds a master's degree in sports management from the University of Ottawa and an undergraduate degree in sports administration and business from Laurentian. Here is my interview with Coach Justin Sures. All right, I'm here with the head coach of the Laurier men's basketball team. Really excited. Uh, Justin, how are you doing today? I'm very good. Thanks for having me. I really appreciate it. We're going to start with segment number one here, your journey. Can you tell the audience how you got to where you are today? You played some basketball out in France. Now you're coaching the head coach here and general manager of Laurier. So kind of tell the audience uh, a little bit about your life and how you got to where you are. Yeah, so that's uh, quite a long journey, especially within the basketball scene. As you mentioned, I grew up, I was born and raised in France, uh, in Normandy more specifically. Then um, started to play basketball at an early age, around uh, 10 years old, and play all throughout my uh, childhood. And around uh, when I was around 17, I was lucky enough to be uh, kind of scouted with, uh, by the, uh, the head coach of the uh, pro team in my hometown. He uh, usually uh, will pick two players on the pro team. You always have two young players, generally from a local, local clubs, but sometimes all across France. And they usually uh, practice with the pro team and they get to sit on the bench. But more importantly, they're playing on the feeder team, which play right before the pro. Uh, so the pros usually play around 7, 8, and then we play around 4, 5. That's how it used to be, and I changed a little bit. So I was lucky enough to get uh, recruited to be on that team. And everything was going well. Uh, I was able to uh, practice with the, the, the pros. Uh, they had two Americans on the team, and you really get to get better. Like, I was 17 years old at the time. 
playing against men, 25, 28, 30, 34, uh, every day. So got bullied around, got pushed around, but <laughs> it wasn't so so much like technically. I, I didn't. I don't think I was getting better, but mentally uh, and and being able to observe contact, I was I was getting better each and every day. And uh, on the feeder team, made things easier. Everything was going well. Then I got a really serious bad knee injury, which uh, got me out. So it happens kind of like or almost in the middle of season. So it was the worst time because. At the time, it's ACL and the meniscus and all of that stuff. Like by the time I got my surgery, I, re- I ended up lo- like missing like half the season and the next season almost. So really got me uh, away from basketball, and it was a, quite a tough time. I was getting into postgraduate school. I didn't, really didn't know what to do. So with the injury and all of that stuff, I decided, you know what, let's focus on school and 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 see what basketball will take me later on in my career. So I decided to move to Canada, have a family ties in Sudbury. My uncle has been a teacher, university teacher for over almost 30 years. Nice. So, uh, and he got four, uh, five kids. So I was able to just live with my cousins, live with my uncle and go to school at Laurentian. Lucky enough, uh, I realized they had a business management program. So I ended up getting into that program, got me, I guess, background knowledge about uh, the whole sports industry. And then year two, I got my knee uh, fixed up a little bit. And then my cousin was getting recruited to play for Laurentian. So I was like, you know what, instead of just playing scrub ball and, and just, you know, doing nothing with basketball, I was like, let's see if I can get back to uh, a little bit to where I was. Unfortunately, I was never, never able to get back to the level that I it was a few years back. I almost didn't play for three years, right? So it was. It, it really took a step back into my skills and stuff like that. But my first year, I was. Uh, I ended up being a quote unquote almost a redshirt. And then the last five games, I ended up playing like 15 minutes a game, just by just working hard every day in practice. And then my second year, I started every game except my first game of season. The team wasn't really good. Didn't play up to our, our potential, but it was a. I think it was, for me, it was kind of a confidence boost and a kind of like a testimony of like, if you work hard, despite all of the injuries that you may have, going from being a redshirt to a starter in one year, I was very excited about what I was able to achieve, even though the stats didn't look as good as I would, I would have liked. It was interesting. And then from there, I decided to coach. I was like, uh, you know, at Laurentian, I was kind of a player coach anyways, kind of a mentor for the younger guys and whatnot. So I decided to move to Ottawa to complete a master in sports management. But prior to uh, getting to the, to the master, I needed one year of work experience. So I ended up working. But because as a student athlete, you're so, you're so busy all the time and you, uh, you, your schedule is so packed up. I knew that just a regular job, a nine to five job wasn't going to be enough for me to be enough for me <laughs> to have enough uh, to do. So I needed to, to have more, uh, more things to do. And I, I didn't really have a, a team to play. And when you're done university, you don't really have a team to play. So I decided to get into coaching. So I reached out to James Dewan, who was a, a, a new coach at Ottawa U. He just uh, got appointed as a head coach there. He didn't really know me, so he kind of had a hard time trusting me uh, to, uh, to be on the staff, even though I just wanted to be a volunteer, not nothing to get paid or whatnot. So uh, my former coach, Sean Swartz, uh, was, was kind enough to call James and uh, convince him to, uh, to take me on based on not only what I've done with, with Laurentian, but more of the, uh, the mentorship uh, side of, of me that interested him uh, at Laurentian. I was uh, 
well, like I said, I was a kind of a player coach at the time already. So I got into uh, with uh, Ottawa U. First year, I was uh, with my job. Uh, obviously, at times, I couldn't make it weekends and stuff like that. Uh, getting weekends off was a little bit harder. But uh, anytime I had time off, right after work, I would take the bus and go straight to the gym. Early morning before work, I would get in the gym to work with the guy. So I think I show uh, James that I was committed, uh, despite being, uh, you know, working. I ended up working actually more than a nine to five. I ended up working like f- close to 50 hours a week plus coaching. So that year was uh, no social life. It was work, basketball and go home and sleep. And it was fun. I really got uh, got the hooked of coaching. Then year two, I ended up doing my master's. So I had way more time to, uh, or I guess, more flexible hours to be able to be coming in, do some scouting, do some video, get some player development. And uh, the biggest thing was the player development piece of it. Um, I will, uh, because I was quite young, I still ended up uh, coaching guys that I played against, right? So that was interesting, but it was good. I think I, I earned their trust by just... Uh, working so hard and being committed to learning that it wasn't uh, it wasn't so much where guys didn't uh, listen to me or respect me or whatnot. I earned their trust and respect really quickly, and I was able to find the boundaries between being friends. Yeah, we are friends outside because obviously we're like two years apart, so you know that connection was easy. But on the court, I'm still coach, right? So that was good, and uh, I really got into co- player development. I uh, used to do two and a half hours every morning with different group of guys, and guys got really good. Some of our players that weren't highly recruited be- became, you know, one of them, Johnny Burr Mescal, became the player of the year after a few years, and uh, from the get-go, it was a sensation in the league. So, Keller Bagata, uh, Warren Ward, just to talk about a few guys, Michael Lafrican, all of those guys really uh, proved via their work ethic and my abilities to help them develop their game. And then in year three, uh, Ottawa U had a budget to hire a full-time assistant coach. I think I was the right guy at the right time, you know, uh, <laughs> doing his master and having all of the, you know, more times than the other assistant coach that had families and jobs for a job that as an assistant, you don't really get paid much, especially at that time. So I took the job, obviously it helped me finance my, st- my school. I got uh, to be a full-time assistant. That's when we became uh, extremely good. So for my first year as a lead assistant, we went to national and then we went to national again and then we won the OUA and then, uh, you know, we went to back-to-back uh, youth sports final uh, championship. So that was a, it was great. It gave me the opportunity to have access to Team Ontario, uh, Canada basketball, kind of like started looking at me in terms of their junior academy stuff and I've, I did a lot of volunteers for Ontario basketball and, and Canada basketball started to coach my own club team and whatnot and then uh, next thing you know in 2016 uh, I was lucky enough to get the job which was surprising for a lot of people because I think uh, even at first I wasn't in, even in there they weren't going to even give me an inter- interview until my my boss called and I kept bugging uh, James at, uh, at uh, Ottawa U like you give me a reference but you got to call them you got to let them know because even though we were successful, I wasn't very known. I was, uh, for, of course, I didn't really grow up in Canada, so even my name into the people that were in position of power, they didn't really know who I was. I was just a French guy, right? So he made the call, convinced the uh, the AD at Laurier to give me a call, and then he called me, he liked what I had to say. Then I had another interview, then another interview, and then another interview, and then 
next thing you know, um, I ended up getting the job. And then the rest is history. I took over uh, going into year five, four years in. Uh, I think the, the, the team is doing well on the court. But more importantly, we're growing in the community. We're growing uh, as a student athletes. Our, our, our players are doing a great job. And uh, yeah, that's uh, pretty much how you know, I went from France to all the way to lawyer. Appreciate you sharing that crazy journey there. And I've had the personal opportunity to actually commentate one of Laurier's games this past year. So that was fun to watch and seeing some of the great players on that team, including a player out of Ottawa and Ali So, which we'll talk about a bit later. But going back a little bit to your Ottawa days, what did you learn about yourself and sort of coaching? Just what you said earlier about volunteering your time. You were working like 50 hours a week and then going to volunteer giving up your time. So what did you learn about yourself and sort of how to get into the coaching world uh, through those experiences at Ottawa? Yeah, I think uh, it's important when you're passionate to dedicate your time to your, to your craft, right? You know, looking back, obviously, I can see that it's not something that everybody will do. When I was doing it, I thought it was the most normal thing in the world, Right. My family sometimes thought, like, kind of, like, referred to me as, like, well, you know, he seems to be working a lot. You don't really have time off. You don't really take weekends. Like, they mentioned that it wasn't that normal. But even then, I was like, what are you talking Like, you guys aren't normal. Like, the norm for me was, well, if you love the game and you're passionate about what you're doing, what's the problem, Right. Yes, I do not have, you know, a lot of weekend off. And I kind of heard some relationship that I had, you know, maybe some girlfriends and some, some friends as well <laughs> that were like, yo, like, can we have some time for you? And you're never available, right? So I think I learned that the, at Laurentian as well is just being able to have a work ethic. And, and every year my work ethic got better and better and better. So my Coming from France, uh, I wasn't the greatest student, and then I put myself into the school at Laurentian, and I became a very good student. I was an 80-plus average type of student, right? So that was like kind of uh, reassuring for me to, to look at myself and say, look, if you work, work really hard and you dedicate yourself, you can be a good student. Then, uh, then the next step was like if you put yourself into the situation where you can work out on your body, you can come back and maybe play on, on, on the university team, right? Then I didn't play much. Well, work harder and maybe you can get some earn, some playing time and maybe get a starter, right? So really, realistically, and then at Ottawa U, it was the same thing. Like, yeah, you're, you're the last assistant coach on the bench. <laughs> you're the young guy and you're the French guy. So they make fun of you of your accent. And they make fun of the fact that, you know, you're a little Frenchy and you, they make fun of you. That, but they speak French there, don't they? Yeah, the you would think so. But, you know, I had, I had uh, I think, maybe two players at Ottawa U that really spoke French. And one of oh, them wow. one of them really spoke French really well. And we used to bond really. Like, they used to make fun of us. We were the Frenchies, you know. I think it was the same thing. Like, kind of, like, dedicate myself in, into player development. And I realized that, oh, okay, I, I'm pretty good at it, right? And then once I had more responsibility with, with James, it was game prep and, and, and execution and uh, strategies and offensive game plan, defensive game plan, all of that stuff. And really, I think the biggest thing for me and, and young players, young people is 
if you work really hard at something that you're passionate about, because if you're not really passionate, then you're not really going to want to work hard. Right? It's going to be a, a stretch and it's going to be a drag and you're not going to have fun with it. But once you find something that you're passionate about, I call that your gift. And once you open your gift, you can really become somebody very special in, into that industry or, or do something very special by working really hard at it. And it might sound very simple, but I think not everybody really grasps that. The fact that you're passionate, then you work hard at it, the combination of those two just create confidence. And uh, for me, I wasn't the most confident person in the world, but I gained confidence through hard work and passion. And, uh, and I think that's important. And in terms of uh, your motivations there, what motivates you to get into coaching? Because you have your master's degree in sports management, uh, something that I eventually want to pursue as well. So what made you sort of go into coaching instead of maybe some other avenues? You had your business administration degree in undergrad as well. So what made you kind of go into coaching instead of maybe some other parts of the sport world? Well, at first it was in, like it was to keep myself busy. And then it was like, obviously the main reason was I liked it and I was passionate and it was fun. But the other reason was first, I didn't want to get bored. And then it was, oh, I like it. And then it was, oh, it's paying for my school, right? So I always like on top of the passion that I had for it, I always had another reason to also keep that going. It wasn't until like 2016 when I, I was, at the time I was turning 30, 30, it was not easy to get a, uh, an interview. And even though we had four national championship appearances and stuff like that, I just wasn't getting the, the I thought, the quote-unquote respect or the attention that I, I thought I could get. Like, at least give me a chance to talk to you. Like, come on. All right? And I wasn't getting any interviews. So I was kind of like thinking about moving to more working for NSO or, or PSO, things like that, just because I'm in Ottawa, I'm bilingual. I can work my way up into those organizations and make way more money. <laughs> and I still coach because I wasn't going to give up coaching. I was like, okay, I can coach clubs and just have fun. And I can train kids, make, you know, make money on the side, have a side gig and a full-time job at the same time. And life will be great as well, right? So it wasn't like just coaching wasn't just the end uh, goal all the time. But then I got the job and I was like, perfect. Now I can stay in it, right? And I think I want to stay in it for a little while until, until I get a little bit older and maybe, I think, add a touch with the youth and, <laughs> and then, yeah, maybe move on into more of a mentor, mentorship, uh, administration type of work where I can guide the next generation of coaching through my journey, but not necessarily always be coaching and maybe coach, move on to more admin stuff and maybe be an assistant or maybe coach youth, right? So I think my path could be anywhere. I also would like to be an agent once in my life. I wanted to be an agent at first. So, so many things I want to do right now. I'm very happy with coaching, so I'm going to stick with it. But I know that I, I'm not going to do that for 50 years, you know, like at one point I'm going to have to retire. You don't want to be uh, Lenny Wilkins or something who uh, no, not really. I think, for a long time. <laughs> I think at one, at one point, just the job gets to you and it's, uh, yeah. it's stressful and it's, uh, it's demanding. No, for sure. So coach there was uh, referencing NSOs and PSOs. Just for those who don't know, that's uh, referring to national provincial sport organizations. So something like Canada basketball or even Ontario basketball, maybe something in your future as well. But uh, just a quick question here. 
uh, related to sort of the people that were involved. You mentioned a few people, uh, Sean Swords being one of them. Are there some other people you want to shout out that were really impactful on your journey to get to where you are? Yeah, well, obviously, uh, in, especially we'll talk about Canada, obviously, but Sean Swords was my coach at Laurentian and we were able to coach together last year at FISU. He gave me an opportunity to coach as an assistant with him at FISU and I thought that was the, you know, such a, a kind thing for him to do and, and also just a recognition of how much I worked hard to to get there. You know, I think I earned that position, but it also gave me an opportunity and I'm so grateful for that. James obviously, you know, gave me an opportunity and, and taught me so much at Ottawa U that uh, and also allowed me to do so much, which was good for him. But he had to trust me that I was going to do a good job. And uh, I'm the type of people that if you give me uh, something to do, I, don't, I just don't want to disappoint you. And I don't want to, I don't want to be the guy that uh, you ask him to do something and then I ended up doing a shitty job. And, uh, and, and, and then, I, I mean, I take, I take that with a lot of proud and, and, and responsibility. So I think James recognized that in me and I was very sensitive about not doing a good job. And that allowed him to give me more opportunities because he knew that I wouldn't want to do something bad, which led me to be so prepared for the job at Laurier. So, yeah, and Pete Campbell as well, the former coach at, at Laurier, who really helped me in my first year. He was a mentor coach for me through my first year at Laurier and really uh, took the time to uh, settle me in when I was you know, frustrated and whatnot. Michael Mix at Canada Basketball is another person that opened the door for me uh, with Canada Basketball when not a lot of people would have. And just because he came to a lot of my club team games and he really liked how I coached the guys. And uh, some of the guys were on the national team radar at the time that I was on uh, was coaching. And he really, really uh, liked it. And since then, he's always been a big advocate for me with Canada Basketball. So... Somebody that I really look up to and really respect. And then also Dave DeViro, the former coach at uh, Ottawa U, now the, the coach at Ryerson. He uh, ran a club organization out of uh, Ottawa called Ottawa Next Level. And he was the one that kind of opened the door for me to be coaching at that, lo- at that club and uh, allowed me to grow my uh, head coaching, uh, I guess, experience at the club level. So all of those guys really just stood out for me as uh, guys that opened doors that they didn't have to, right? They didn't have to do that. They didn't have to do anything for me. And, you know, I'm grateful for that. That's uh, awesome there. And uh, last question for you in this segment. Uh, what's some advice you would give to someone else who kind of was in your position, maybe just finished playing varsity basketball or another sport and wants to go into coaching themselves? What's some advice you would give them? You got to be, one, you got to make sure you're passionate about it. And, and also, when you get started, find a, something that you really like. You know, coaching is very broad, right? And there is, again, there is a player development, there is a scouting, there is there's different things in coaching. I think specialize yourself into something early. Not that you want to be just that guy, but give you a hedge, right? It gives you something that you can sell as a young It's like coach. a way in. Yes, it's a way in, right? So I think that's something that you can get in. And then from there, you can broaden your horizon and learn more about the, about the job. And then lastly, I think you got to be patient. Because, you know, it took me six years to get an interview, right? And we, again, we, uh, at one point, that last four years, I think we won 93% of our games, 
right? That interview wasn't going to necessarily correlate to a job. Luckily enough, it did. I think you just got to be very patient. It's a, it's a marathon. It's not a sprint. And um, I think it will test your dedication to the job. And I see a lot of coaches come in and out. I think if it's not so much for you, the youth the, the sports level, there's always ways to keep coaching. And that's also another thing to know what industry you want to be at. Some, not everybody is good for youth sports and not everybody is good for youth development. I think you got to find your what you're best at. For sure. And uh, no, that's great advice. And we're going to move to segment two here, day-to-day life. Really interested for this part as well. What does a coach have to do day-to-day? So I know we're recording this uh, towards the tail end, hopefully, we're hoping of a coronavirus here. But in terms of your day-to-day life, can you talk about at Laurier, what does your life look like as a coach, kind of both uh, in-season and then off-season? Yeah, and that's important to mention because I always tell people, like, my life changes every month Right, every month of the year, almost right. So September is different than October. October is different than November. December is different than January. So that's important to know. But in the bulk of the season, like when we're talking season, we have games after games after games. Uh, we probably have a Wednesday game and Saturday game, or Friday Saturday back to back. So that that schedule is pretty hectic. We usually go in in the morning early. Guys getting shots up. I'll pop in. Then uh, get into my emails right away. I do emails and then get that out of the way so I can get started on my video. Most of the days is just videos and meetings, trying to meet with some players. And with the uh, department, we got a bunch of meetings, coaches meeting and all of that stuff. But you want to get in your videos as much as possible. Then you have what we the way we do things is we do video a video session before each practice. If it's not a video session, it's a sport, a mental performance coach uh, session, or it's a workout. But we always do something before practice, just to be able to bundle things before or after. Sometimes the video will be after, but whatever. And then we practice, and then uh, and then we recap, and then that's pretty much it. So it's a it's a fast pace, uh, and that's pretty much like like that every every day. In terms of off season. So obviously, after, right after the season or December will be a recruiting season as well. You just, you know, for example, right after our last game in November, I will put myself into a schedule where I'm on the road every day until I take a vacation, right? So I will go see, when I say on the road, it could be a local recruiting, but I'm recruiting every day. So I usually do like 18, 19 days in a row where I will be somewhere, see a player, until I usually take a, a vacation, uh, a break with my wife, like for usually nine days before we get back into it. And then uh, April will be kind of the same thing, but not as intense in terms of the recruiting. Be a lot of players visits and all of that stuff. May and June is our player development program. So we do like morning workouts and then they do a scrimmage at night. Usually that's when during the day you're a little bit more flexible. You do a lot more meetings with your coaches. You do some recruiting as well. You do a lot of like planning for the the camps. You know, all of the admin stuff looking at, you know, as a general manager, you're looking at your fundraising, you're looking at your your jersey that you need to buy, you know, your gear that you need to buy, all of the planification for the season, you're doing that during that time. I like to take July, quote unquote, off 
for professional development of and vacation. So last year I was doing FISU, then I took some vacation, and then August you're back at it. So really just the only time you can get vacation is July for somewhere two weeks, and then December. And then right after the season, sometimes I like to take a, a vacation. Last year I went to Europe, see my family, and then I end up going to uh, do some professional development, meet some pro team and all of that stuff. So there is different times where you can take some break, but usually... You cannot, like, for example, people sometimes, especially in France, they take like four weeks, you know, in a row where they, they're, they're completely off, right? It's not happening. Too long, too long. <laughs> Ten days here, it's five days there. And I enjoy that because it gives you mini breaks. It gives you mini, uh, quote unquote, uh, refresher where you can just take a break for five days, come back and being refreshed. During the season, how do you balance sort of the individual skill development? Because I know in other sports, they do like individuals where coaches will meet with a couple of players. So how do you balance developing individual players, but also like the team chemistry and just the whole aspect of the team? Yeah, so depend like uh, September, October, I'll be more hands-on with that player development thing. But then when we get into the bulk of the season, I take a lot of pride in, in our video scouting. Uh, and recap watching us play and, and the other team it, it really doesn't allow me to be you know on the court with the guys as much it takes time like it's one two hours and the next thing you know it's two hours out of your day that you were on the courts what i'd like to do is may and june we do so many drills usually august september we do so many drills as well that they the players should have a foundation of things that they know what to do they also have like a tracking sheets every week of, you know, shots and stuff like that. So we push them to become more independent within their player development and the feedback they get from the games, they should apply into their player development. So if they're struggling or they're doing well in certain areas, they need to hit those and they have, we're trying to focus on their strength and their roles a little bit more during the season. So once they know their role, they can focus on that during their player development. And we've been pretty successful with having guys being quite independent into that area. But we also have like assistant coach that will come. Like, for example, Shadir Tenny this year was there all the time, you know, working the room. I call that we have, we're lucky to have three courts, six basket. So don't focus necessarily on just one, one guy. You just work the room. You let them work and work the room. You walk around, give them tips, and then you keep working the room like that. I mean, it's been working well. I think uh, the more staff we get, I think this year we got more staff, we got more guys committed as coaches, the more we could maybe have the, the coaches involved in that area so I can maybe back off a little bit, and, and especially during the season, and be able to focus on the tactical strategies a bit more. And for the players, are they expected to, to get some shots up and practice outside of like the normal player development practice time, or is that kind of just extra if they do it? Yeah, it would be extra. I, I tend to tell them, like, look, we have dedicated time for a reason so that you don't need to come to other times, right? We find times where 90% of the players should be there, which will help them not having to come back during the day or whatnot, especially, you know, I'm very cautious of school. Like, my background is was not academic and then it became very academic when I came here, right? So I'm very cautious of that. I'm very cautious of burnout. I'm very cautious of their own life 
right? So I'm trying to tell them like, look, you could come back and some of them do, which is great, but it's not for everybody. I think some of them, sometimes a rested mind and body will perform better than just somebody who feels like they need to overwork themselves. Now that's my philosophy. I don't think it's everybody's philosophy, but <laughs> yeah. it is what it is. No, that's uh, awesome for you to share that. And in terms of kind of what you were alluding to with players, uh, let's jump into recruiting a little bit because I know that's obviously a big part of, of being a coach. There's what we all know as strategy and, and calling players on and off the court during games. But recruiting is actually a huge part of building up a program. So can you talk about what you look for when you recruit and then uh, sort of how you go about it? Yeah, well, I think like everybody, everybody's looking for the, the talent, right? I think, you know, as much as we, we like to say we're looking for good students and all of that stuff, it is true. But the number one thing, the person has to have some type of talent that you're looking for, right? So prior to that, you need to identify things that you need for your team. Then you identify the talent that you will feel comfortable with. And then uh, I think it's also finding players that will fit within your system, quote-unquote. You don't want to be stuck into that mindset too much because your system can adjust, obviously, if that person is that talented. But the biggest thing for me is also what I like to tell recruits is I need to have a vision for you, right? If I don't have a vision for a recruit, then I'm not recruiting that person. That being said, I need to be able to tell you, know, you T.O., you know, here's my our plan for you within the next five years. I need to be able to sell you something long term. If you don't like it, okay, no problem. You can, you know, you, you will definitely be seeking other other opportunities. But I think it's important for me to let them know, like, I, I kind of have a vision for you. I know how I will develop you. I know how I want to use you. And then if I don't have that, I think it will be hard for me to see it in the future. I need to be able to see it after watching you a few times, right? Uh, usually after the first time, it, it, it will be good as well. Then I need, the personality comes into play. I like to see if I, I'll be able to handle you for five years. You like to see if you'll be <laughs> able to handle me for five years, right? Yeah, That's yeah. very important. The school aspects come like kind of like dictated for themselves. Like while standards, while being a small school is pretty high, just to the fact that demand and supply, right? We got way more people wanting to come to Laurier for whatever reason, but we don't have as much quote unquote supply. I guess we don't, we can't afford to have too many students because we don't have the capacity with the residents and the number of students, uh, sorry, the professors and all of that stuff. So that increase our average basically. So in some school, the average to get into certain degree will be X and ours is a little bit higher compares to the, if you're looking at the same level, quote-unquote, the same level schools. So, and uh, Laurier is considered uh, as a good school, but it's not like, it's not McGill, it's not Queens, like they're not, we're not elite. But in some aspects, our standards are elite, right, to get in. So that also tells me who I can recruit. Some guys I would love to recruit, but I, I'm not going to win the battle. I'm not going to make you change. Like, your grades aren't going to change. And I'm not going to convince the department to let you in magically, right? So I got to find who I will be able to work my magic with. <laughs> Sometimes the decision is made for me, right? The players, quote-unquote, their, their, their grades are made before we can even talk about recruiting you, right? So 
that's a great aspect and uh, and then yeah realistically this is how you're looking at you have your database and you keep you have all of your coaches that have a, a list of players they should they should be reaching out and all of that stuff you oversee everything and and then you're trying to go after the the players and i, I like to go after players and make them feel special so i wouldn't be the guy that go after like 100 guys like i'm trying to find a good amount of numbers of that i can text regularly and all of that stuff they make them feel special and if I strike out, then it, it, it's tough because I've spent a lot of times and I don't have a lot of backups. <laughs> but it's a better approach than maybe sending out just a bunch of generic letters and messages that don't really seem personal. So I understand that. It doesn't work for me. It, that would not work for me, but it, I think it works for other coaches. I know other teams definitely do that. Yeah, for sure. It, well, it's, the, it's, it's your way and, and you've cultivated that in your program. So... One thing I definitely want to talk about is the recruitment of star player Ali So. We did talk a little bit about it earlier. Could you maybe uh, share a bit about how you, what you sold him on coming to Laurier? How did you kind of get in there if uh, you're able to share that? Yeah, I mean, I didn't have to sell him anything, to be honest, because, you know, for people that see him now, they, uh, you know, we, we tend to forget, like, yeah, Ali is a star player in the league, but he he's not like he was a star recruit right did had teams a lot of teams interested but Carlton didn't really go after him and I don't think he was interested uh, either but you would think that a team like Carlton will go after players like that you know Ottawa you made some approach but didn't really go after him that that much I think the biggest thing for him was like he's short and his the time was pretty skinny right and not a lot of people thought he could defend at this level, and not a lot of people could even think he was going to be able to score at that level. And then towards the end of his, I guess, uh, club career, he put on some crazy performances, and now all of a sudden people started to pull. So at the last minute, I got nervous a little bit because I was like, he was coming the whole way. Like, a year before he was coming, he was already coming. Like, I know I've coached him in the club system in Ottawa. I've, we have a great relationship with his family. So I just knew he was coming, but, uh, you know, some problems trying to pull him last minute. And uh, he was great because he really reassured me. He's like, coach, I ain't going nowhere. I'm not even interested. I just have, he was, it's hard for young players to tell other teams that they're not interested it's a weird feeling. You don't want to, you know, you don't want to quote unquote hurt a grown man, you know, and teams are persuasive, right? So, but yeah, it was a much easier recruiting than 90% of the players are recruited at, uh, at Roy. That's for sure. That was pretty easy with, uh, with Ali and pretty smooth. The only thing for us was to make sure his school was in the, in the right place. And he did a good job at the time uh, to step up and we didn't have to even help to get in the school. So that was good. Yeah, and he's uh, definitely one of the top players in the OUA. It was a joy uh, commentating his game there. Oh yeah, I don't regret. I don't regret uh, getting him. Is uh, this changed the program drastically? Yeah. You know, three years already. He's <laughs> going into four. Yeah, no, that's sweet. And would you say that's like actually a big part potentially of recruiting? Is that if you can recruit that quote unquote game changer that can attract other top name recruits as well? That maybe our friends that played in the same club system, stuff like that. I think that's that aspect is a little bit over hyped, right? Get it? Like uh, you, you get touches, you get people interested, people talk, but 
you know, for example, the players like Ali, we just we just signed a very, very good point guard named Ethan Paisley, who came in, I think, at the right time because he's got this year and the year after to, to work with Ali. And then he's got three years where I think, based on the talent he has, he could be a very a star in the league. But to be able to attract those type of guys... Right now, I think it was a good moment. A lot of people even wait a year, like within Ali's last year, so that they know they only have one year with him. Like, I think we strike out in some of the guards in the last two years just because... Because they know they won't play. Some of the players, they act like they're confident. And I'm the type of guy that, yeah, I can tell you, you're going to play with Ali because we played some small lineups with two point guards. They still don't want to hear it. You know, they think it's a... And, and a lot of people... I also look at our games and they think it's an Ali show and it's not. Like, no, Norway sometimes has more usage than Ali. When usage means like how much he has the ball in his hands. You know, Kamel sometimes had the ball more than Ali. And our best game was when Ali didn't touch the ball too much. And when he touched it, he scored. Right? I think having more playmakers would have made Ali even better and I think now we have enough of those guys with the recruiting we had done the last two years which I'm hoping to see that into Ali's game where at times you tend to forget like I want teams to start forgetting about him because other guys are because there's so many other pieces yeah yes other guys are performing right and when Nora is playing well when Matt last year was playing well when Kamel was playing well teams don't forget about Ali but they're starting to like oh those guys are killing us too, and what are we doing? And all of a sudden, Ali Ad, you know, comes in and sealed the deal, right? And I think that's where we were good as well in the playoff because Ali was good, but guys, other guys came in and really took the light. Like Adnan was the star of the first playoff game, right? Ali was the closer the second playoff game, but Kemel had some big free throws and big plays down the stretch, and Norrie had some big plays. So I think it's important for us to have that balance. And yeah, I think, again, to go back to the question, it does intimidate some of the players that maybe was like, ah, I don't know if I want to come here because he's got all of the attention in the media and all of that stuff. And I'm like, not really. And that's why in our social media, we even try to showcase other guys, not just be- not because we don't want to showcase Ali, but... It's a team effort. Even Ali understands that. Like, Mel was huge for us. We got to sh- we gotta show that we're more than just one player because it's not even true. Like, our system is designed to have all, everybody is in- involved, right? And then, yeah, it could have scared some people away, but definitely didn't the last two years because some of the guys came in that were really good and they could have get hurt with some playing time and they didn't. They ended up having a lot of playing time. So, yeah, I think it's a tricky situation. And uh, last question of this segment here. Could you talk about sort of what it takes to prepare for, uh, let's say, the, the OUA playoffs there? You got, the it's not like a tournament style where you're playing like multiple games back-to-back necessarily. So how do you prepare for, let's say, like the opening round and then when you move on kind of thing? First, you take one game at a time because, you know, you lose that game, the season's over. So I think you can have some assistants focusing on, on like people that are doing some video prep. They can focus on in the next game. But as a head coach and as a team, you want to put 100% of your focus into that game. You don't want to go away from everything that worked, you know, necessarily reinvent the wheel. You have to just stick to what you do best. And within that, find a, the right game plan to make that work against that team. There's no magic trick or there's no, there's no magic recipe, I think. It's realistically, it's just 
coming up with the best game plan. We maybe have one or two things that could, you know, surprise them. And then from there, it's uh, limit your mistakes. And when you're looking at the three playoff game we had this year, you know, we were one mistakes away from going to national, I think. Like, and we made way too many mistakes, especially early in the game against Western, that ended up hurting us. Even though we fought back and almost, I think we almost steal the game because we were we were not playing well at all in that game. So I think uh, just limit your mistakes. That will definitely go a long way. And I mean, not being scared to lose because if you start thinking, it, it gets scary. <laughs> Justin, we're going to move to segment three here, uh, misconceptions. I know a lot of people are going to have certain views of what it means to be a coach, especially because they see things on TV, you know, the ESPN specials or whatever they see on social media. So what are some misconceptions you've heard about being a head coach of a, of a varsity sport? Well, I think the biggest one is just that, you know, you, you're just coaching, right? You're just going to practice, going home, going to the game. Like, it, it, a lot of people don't see how much work you have to put in into the prep how much work you have to put in in the player development, how much work you have to put in into recruiting. And once you add all of those things together, you understand it's time-consuming. I don't think it's like a tough job. Like, you know, there is a lot of jobs in, in the world that are way mentally or physically, obviously way more important for the world than, than coaching. But in terms of time-consuming, it is, you know, 24 hours, seven days a week type of jobs because at any moment you could get a text, you could get a call, you got to recruit. So I think it's just the time-consuming type of piece is they think they only see the game and they don't, you know, it, the game is like the tip of the iceberg. And then you have everything be, behind, uh, below. I think as a Canadian coach, university coach, you also have to take into consideration that we don't have the help of MBAs or NCAAs or even pros in Europe where we I don't have a full-time assistant. Some teams do. I don't. Uh, and you end up having to do a lot, you know, basically uh, way more than, than you think. And then we have two hats. We have the head coach hat. We have the general manager hat, which lead to administration duties, which means to fundraising camps and, and everything. You know, communication, marketing, we do our newsletter, we do our social media, we do our videos, we do, we do everything. You know, we are a small business. You know, we are a small business with, I have 15 people helping me as, you know, as coaches, managers and all of that stuff that I have to manage. I have, you know, 18 to 20 players that I have to manage. We have a manager, we got uh, strengths and conditioning. So all of those people need to have stuff to do and they all need to be managed, which add to the plates. I think that's the biggest misconception. They don't see the big picture. And uh, then when they see it, they're, they're quite surprised. And in terms of as, um, as the general manager and head coach, if things aren't going well, let's say for your program, uh, for your team, how do you handle sort of the negativity from potentially the media or, or fans or potentially even inside with players or coaches? How do you handle that and deal with uh, if your team's not doing well? It's easy when things are going well, of course. I'm big on, uh, in terms of the team, I'm big of addressing issues and quote unquote, what we call the elephant in a room. Like, you know, I'm, I, I'm not good at keeping things for myself. And, and you know, when something frustrates me or, or I'm not happy with, I'm not good at just you know, say, ah, whatever, or brush it off. Or No, I, I like to address 
issues and I like I like when people address issues with me as well so there's a few moments where players will you know I, I ask them like okay what what is the problem with me tell me what I need to change so we can move forward and because I, I expect the same thing from them I'll let them know exactly what they need you know it's very transparent and it's very clear from staff to to players so I put myself in the same boat And they mentioned it. We had an issue. We had instance where I had to change my approach for us to be better, right? And I think that's looking yourself in the mirror, be accountable, and then not being sensitive that oh I'm I'm right, you're wrong. That's not the right approach. That's how we approach uh, adversity, uh, and we had a lot of them this year, and it, it took us a while to figure it out, but eventually we did, and and we ended up. You know, despite our, our overall record, we ended up having probably, I think, a better season than the year before, taking in consideration what, what we had to go through. That's far more for the players. Internal, I don't like when, when we, we, you know, we don't t keep things in the house. I like to keep things in the house as much as possible. And then when you hear the, the hearsay, uh, obviously it's annoying. From the media, to be honest, I'm not... Like my first year, we used to have one media that I felt like was really, really hard on us. Like almost like it was, I felt like it was personal at times. I'm like, I'm reading other teams, you know, how he, he will write about other teams losing. And then I'm reading about us winning. And I'm like, whoa, even when we're winning, we, you know, that guy find yeah. ways to not, not gain the love. <laughs> No, this created the way we winning. Like I was just baffled, and then I, I, and then it would just got me so rattled that you know I, after a month or two I was like just unfollow those people and never go back on their website ever. And I did. I haven't been since then. And then all of the like I don't follow any U Sports blog anything. Anything that bugs me, I don't read it. And if I see something that reads that bugs me, I'm like, nah, whatever. Next. And then if I if I see those people, you know, in in person, then I'll, I'll let them know how I feel about certain things, and we move on, and we can agree to disagree. I thought that was wrong. I think that was harsh. I think sometimes uh, the media um, really, and not just for for us, and it's very just a small scale for us, but I think even uh, in the NBA or, or pros where I feel like uh, people are insensitive, right? And that's when, when they're really insensitive uh, about how they approach. They really say stuff that are demeaning. You know, we got, uh, we got some, some guys on ESPN, I believe. Uh, I don't even say his name. I don't even remember his name, to be honest. But sometimes like, they use people, they, they, uh, they use nickname to call out people, their players, you know? They're... they're but kind of like making fun of them. Mm -hmm. It's not positive. Yeah, and it's just unnecessary. Like, it, it's, I mean, I understand why they're doing it because they have to sell a product and all of that. And we're, we're in a generation where we have to, to bully and clown people online nonstop. That's, that's the generation we're in. Well, you know what? What if I was doing that to you? As a, as a journalist every day, what if LeBron James had a, a, uh, an account just to make fun of the media, how they look, right? Sometimes they make fun of his, his, his appearance. Sometimes they make fun of, of what he said, that's what he did, like how wrong he was, like how wrong the media are all, all the time. And every day you do that online, following by millions of people. I think that's like, 
you know, it, it's borderline bullying. Like you're just bullying people to sell your your story. Like I respect like um, media's like uh, Jalen Rose because I feel like he's been there and he's got a more human and uh, kind approach to his criticism. They're never disrespectful. They're always thought and unbiased and and you know mean mean to be mean. What? You know, it, it's not it's not the way I approach things. I mean. You know, I, I, I'm not disrespectful to people just because I'm disrespectful. Like, you don't know me, you don't know my life, and you go out there and you're just straight disrespecting me like that? Come on. And you wouldn't do it into my face anyway, so what are you doing in the media? <laughs> yeah, no, for sure. And it's definitely part of uh, what we see in, in social media and just like, as you said, clowning on people and things like that. So, uh, no, I appreciate you sharing that. Uh, we're going to move here, if that's okay. We're going to move to segment four. Uh, rapid fire so we'll see how this goes i'm excited for it uh didn't prep you for it so let's get to it question one here name your top three sports teams and athletes of all time okay we're gonna do like uh from 1989 to 1998 chicago bulls otherwise they're not so good now unfortunately (laughs) from 1999 to 2019 spurs and then uh, I just put a soccer team there, uh, Barcelona, but only when Samuel Eto was on the team. There you go. And uh, who are your top three athletes then? Athletes, Scotty Pippen, number one, he's the GOAT, don't care what people say. <laughs> I mean, I, I, I was big on soccer when I, was a, when, when I was a kid, so I would put Samuel Eto. You know, I've I watched so many soccer games and of him. And my dad's from Cameroon, so that's the ties there. And then oh, I put Kobe. I got to put my guy Kobe. There you go. And uh, question two here. I'm going to ask for your favorite sports memory and history as a fan and then as a coach. So what are your favorite uh, memories that you have? Well, well, as a fan, like France winning the World Cup 2018, pretty crazy. I was pretty happy. 2011, uh, my boy uh, Yann Mahimi winning uh, the NBA championship with Dallas. You know, I got a rep for my for my brother. And then the Raptors. Well deserving. The yeah, journey was sure. unbelievable. And do you have a, a favorite moment for you um, as a coach? Like your favorite coaching moment? Obviously, when we won OUA, OUA was, was special with the Ottawa U. I think my first win as a head coach, you got you to gotta take that. Last one, like, it's weird. I would think the Western game, just because, like, it's not my favorite. But I'm, literally, I don't think there is a, like, maybe not every day, but there is at least four or five times a week where... I don't think about this game, and I'm so pissed. And I think that's going to help me keep that drive going for a long time because I'm so, you know, I'm fired up. I'm still fired up. And it, it, it still brings some type of fiery emotion in me when I think about this game. Not that I'm, uh, you know, I'm uh, again, I'm very not happy, but I'm, I'm worse than deserved it. And, and, and I'm happy for them. I'm not trying to say that we got robbed or anything. I'm just, I'm, I just feel like we had a chance and we didn't seize it. And there is a lot of coaching moment in, in that game that I think 
could have been better and that's just going to make me better. So I think it's important to keep even the bad moments into the top moments. For sure. And uh, question three here, we're going to move to some non-sports questions. I'm going to give you one last meal to eat on earth. You got to tell me the appetizer, main course, dessert, and what you're drinking. Appetizer. It's easy. French uh, saucisson. So it's like uh, curd dry uh, sausage. Okay. With uh, olive cheese and all of that, you know, you know, all of that good stuff, bread and all of that stuff. Meal is tough because I've been, you know, been cooking for like, you know, cooking for four years and I'm, I'm really, really getting better at it every day. <laughs> Cook every day. So I have a lot of meals that I really like. Just, just because I picked some French stuff uh, for appetizer, I'm going to go with some African dish. One of the uh, the traditional dish in Cameroon is called uh, ndole, uh, ndole with uh, bobolo and uh, and rice. You know that's what my aunts make for every Christmas and Thanksgiving. So that's big. Dessert. I mean, my go-to dessert. Like if I want to eat the dessert, it would be uh, apple pie with vanilla ice cream. Oh, my favorite. That's my favorite right there. That's good. That's a, like it's a staple, but with a lot, lot, a lot, a lot, a lot of crust. You know, you you can't chip me up with some cheap ass crust. <laughs> and then drink and with alcohol. It would be a a very very old, twenty years old, like thirty years old uh, rum from Guadeloupe, where my wife's from. Just uh, with some sugar can. That's uh, this just the best thing ever. Nice. Uh, another non-sports question here. I'm going to give you a chance to put on a concert in your backyard, if you have a backyard. Uh, you're allowed to book any band or artist in the world, living or dead. you got to pick three and the order in which they play. Alive, to start, will go Leon Bridges, my go-to, my guy. I, I know the last one. The last one will be Drake. Oh, French one, you know, Leon Bridges and, uh, and then, you know, in the, within the same type of mood, uh, Charles Aznavour, French, uh, French singer, uh, the GOAT. Question five here. What's the best coaching advice you've ever received? I know you gave some advice earlier, but what's the best advice you ever received from one of the coaches you worked under? I would say, understand you're never going to be as ready as you think. <laughs> good at that and people can figure out what it means <laughs> and uh question six last question here the rapid fire i'm gonna give you all the talent in the world you're, you're not injured anymore okay so you could be any position on any team in any sport what would it be i always wanted to be a point guard nowadays i'd be a, a point forward point for draymond green right draymond green style or something <laughs> Yeah, I like him. I would um, maybe uh, yeah, Raymond Green. I take it. I like him. He's 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 tough. He's annoying. <laughs> so so you'd be a point forward. But what team would you be playing for? What team would you want to play for? I mean, organization. I would play pick the Spurs for many reasons. One, it's a stable organization. Popovich, obviously, uh, been to San Antonio a lot of times, and um, I, I like the city. To be honest. Uh, a lot of people make fun of it, but you get get more for your money, and uh, and it's people are really nice and friendly. So I like it. I like San Antonio. There you go. 
So that concludes our show there, Coach. Uh, if our audience wants to find more about you and the team that you coach, where can they find you on social media? Yeah, so they can find me on Instagram, coach underscore Ceres, S-E-R-R-E-S-E, and then W-L-U underscore M-B-Ball. Then our Twitter account is the same thing, W-L-U underscore M-B-Ball as well i'm not uh, my twitter is kind of lame i don't do much on it uh, social media takes too much time anyways yeah kids all the kids are on instagram anyway so it's okay i'm gonna leave all that information in the show description so if you want to check out laurier basketball or coach Ceres there on instagram you can do that so coach thanks for uh coming in on the podcast i really appreciate you taking time out of your schedule i know it's uh the summer here but you're still busy as we talked about so uh thanks for coming in no problem. Appreciate you, my guy. Thank you so much. Thanks for listening. Keep an eye out for the next episode where I interview Jeanette Kwok. Jeanette is a certified athletic therapist and a founder of the Pocket AT. Hear about Jeanette's journey from working with university athletes to the general population and the work she has done in educating others about health and wellness through the Pocket AT. As always, you can follow me on Instagram at Juan underscore and underscore only underscore sports and see some of my commentating highlights on YouTube at the channel Juan and Only Sports. Catch you listeners on the flip side. Peace.